Every team, every topic, everywhere. This is Believe. We're back. Took a week off. We're back, and spring ball is just getting started. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to Charge On. As always, I'm your host, Sean Green. Before we get started, a quick word from our sponsors, Bet Online. Bet Online remains your number one source for all your college basketball betting this season. Get analysis on every play, prop, and point at Bet Online. You'll find the latest odds, bracket contests, team matchups, and game trends at Bet Online. Updated odds for everything from live games the conference championships, right through the Final Four and championship game. BetOnline is your college basketball headquarters this season. Head to betonline.ag or use your mobile device to sign up and receive your 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit. Be sure to use promo code BELIEVE to receive your bonus. BetOnline.ag, where the game starts. Yeah, guys, took the week off last week. Uh, was going to do an episode. It was going to be by myself. Nick was on his honeymoon. We went to his wedding like you guys know the week before. What a great wedding. I cried. I'm, I'm an emotional guy, Nick. I'm very emotional. And I will say, no lie, swear swear to God, went to Nick's wedding, beautiful, beautiful setup, beautiful everything, seeing one of my best friends get married, very touching, amazing wife he has on him. And I cried like 15 times, no lie. I, I hadn't got that emotional in a long while, but... It, it, I swear, I we I went up to Nick, uh, in the you know after the ceremony and when he was making the rounds, and I'm like, and he was sitting, you were actually sitting eating dinner, and I literally walk, and I'm like, I'm sobbing, like I I, I was like, I'm crying. I know you didn't know what I was saying, but I'm like, I'm crying. But it was great. I can't believe I can't believe you were crying I, at a wedding. I, I mean, yeah, no, you'd be. My I know it, it was it was a shocker. Everybody at the table was staring at me like, "What is this dude?" It, it, but I literally I was getting out napkins from the actual ceremony. I was grabbing napkins and crying my eyes out. Um, but how was your break? I, I know, but how was the break? The wedding was great. How was your honeymoon? All that good stuff. Um, happy to have you back, though. We are happy to have you back on the pod. Oh, it, it's been fantastic. I mean, first of all, it's been a long time since I've been on the show to begin yep. with, but. You know, Renaissance man, busy as always, but the honeymoon was great. We went to Antigua, had a great time. We had a lot of rest in there, and I showed you a lot of the pictures, the views that we had. Insane. I mean, we had a we we had a freaking pool. I mean, in in the room, we had a pool with a nice hammock, kind of going right next to the pool, looking out into the Caribbean. I mean, breakfast, lunch, and dinner provided at the at the restaurant. A, a open bar the oh. entire time. Two open bars the entire time. I mean, it was fantastic. The entire thing was fantastic. But I was definitely ready to come home about the fourth day we were there. Uh, and I'm I'm so glad to be here and back in the full swing of things. But it's been great. It's been great. I'm also married. I know people don't usually like to look at the groom's ring. This is my ring here. Okay. I think it looks very nice. Yeah. So 
I'm trying to show it off to people because everybody only cares about Casey's. Yeah. Apparently. So no, that's, you know what? I, I've always had a gripe with that. Nobody does ask the guy like, Oh, let me see the ring. Yeah, nobody asks about, about the guy's ring. They just want to see Casey's ring. Yeah, no, that's annoying, but I'm glad you showed it off and let the people see it because that's, I think very important. Let's get that started um, from here on out. But we, we both had our week off. I mean, you had a better view than I did. And I had a view of a TV. You had a view of a nice, vast ocean but we come back we're here now and we're talking spring ball i mean it's kind of what we've been waiting for we've had a lot of dead period where thank god the pac 12 and the big 12 have kind of kept the you know new cycle plentiful because we wouldn't hadn't had much to talk about and then of course we're getting ready to record and we're dropping this on friday so you're seeing this on friday but we're recording this yesterday and we have a bunch of news that's been dropping over the last couple of days. So we have a lot to talk about today. But first is spring ball, Nick. And listen, we both know so many questions going into this spring ball. Again, quarterback questions, receiver questions, but mainly how is this offense and defense going to look? You're bringing in two new coordinators. There's a lot of question marks that need to be answered going into your first season in the Big 12. But... What I will say is I think we're hearing the right things out of spring ball in the first couple practices and things that UCF fans want to hear. But I think what the players are really liking out of these practices, because again, when you have that turnover, right, nobody knows what's going to happen, right? Nobody knows what the playbook's going to look like. Nobody knows coaching styles. Like Darren Hinshaw wasn't necessarily a coach when he was here, right? He was kind of just helping out with the staff. So how Darren Hinshaw come in, we'll talk offense first because I think there's a lot of questions with that. But Darren Hinshaw and Gus have both both spoken over the last couple of days. And I think it's very intriguing and very interesting kind of the way they're speaking about the offense and not just them, but the players. Nick, you kind of heard what you know Hinshaw has been saying and we could talk quarterbacks in a second. But I think the number one thing we've been hearing is that the thing we've been waiting to hear, Nick, for a year is the, the deep shots are coming. They're throwing the ball down the field, and that's been made very apparent over the first three days of practices. Yeah, and that's I think that's the right move. I mean, you're going into a conference which is notorious for having these high high flying offenses, and UCF has always been that. And I mean, we've we've talked about it at length on this show that they've kind of gotten away from that the past two seasons. And I understand that's Gus Malzahn's offense, but the way the defense has been, the inability of the defense to really kind of mesh itself with the offense and get off the field on third downs and make enough stops. When you're not scoring as many points as UCF used to, it's obviously made things very difficult. And so I think they need to get back to that. I think Gus understands that. Uh, I'm still curious to see of what the, the play calling split is going to be like. If it's going to continue to be Gus, if it's going, if he's going to turn some some power over to Darren Henshaw, but I think definitely that that's one of those things that they need to change going this year because I think they got the guys to do it. By the way, I think there's a lot of guys in this offense who have that skill set, but now you got to call the plays. And I think, and that's the thing that I think we were all surprised when the OC was hired and Darren Henshaw and Gus said he's the play caller. I'm giving up play calling duties. There's too much for me to handle. And it's been very apparent over the last couple of days between the players and the coaches saying, yep, yeah, like it's Darren's playbook. We've been running these plays. We've been 
really, they they made it very clear. We've been working kind of for the last month, not so much with the defense present before spring ball, but Darren Henshaw brought the quarterbacks in, brought the receivers and running backs in, and they've been running plays and working on specific things before spring, which is so crucial, especially with the quarterback situation. And especially when you're throwing the ball deep, because that was, like we just said, one of the bigger problems on the season was not enough deep shots, too much running the football, not enough kind of mixing it up with the runs and passes. And again, running the football, it's going to look very similar this season in the sense of you've got some powerhouse running backs. And we'll talk about Demarcus Bowman in a second as a guy that you could see, um, especially in spring, kind of light it up. But quarterback controversy is the thing that we've been talking about for months. We can all assume that JRP Nick is the guy, right? But Darren Hinshaw, and I think something that we've kind of alluded to with Gus in the past months, Darren Hinshaw spoke all to about all the quarterbacks. He brought up Timmy McLean, JRP, Thomas Castellanos. He said JRP is a great leader and he has improved drastically since he met him at the beginning, where I think they've worked a lot on his foot placement and not so much about his arm strength. It's more so, and I think that's with a lot of quarterbacks, right? If your foot placement is in the right place, you can have a little less arm talent, and you're going to get the ball in the, in the right spot. But he made it very clear, very apparent, how much he loves Thomas Castellanos. And we've been hearing that since he got into the building. But I think to hear Darren, Han- uh, Darren Hinshaw, Nick, basically come out and rave about him, and... One thing I love about Darren Hinshaw is he comes out and the way he speaks, he gives you a lot. He gives you a ton of stuff when he's talking about the players and he gives you insight and he does it with his face. So when he was talking about Thomas Castellanos, his face was very apparent on how much he liked the kid. So Nick, kind of give your thoughts on it. Obviously, we can go in and say, JRP is the is the starter, but what do you kind of need to see out of spring out of Thomas to kind of get that? Because I obviously had a bad last game, and, and that's no fault to him. But seeing how much Darren Henshaw likes him and how much JRP and him are kind of going at it, what do you need to see this spring out of JRP and Thomas to kind of see who will most likely be the starter come fall? Yeah, I think with John Rise, it needs to be consistency on those throws and the ten to twenty. Uh, yard range, those kind of mid-level throws. I think that's where he struggled more than anything last year. And when you talk about foot placement and mechanics and stuff like that, I think that's where he's kind of been a little bit of a wild card so far through his time here at UCF. And I think really that's why this has turned into a competition is that, I mean, JRP had his moments, especially with his legs when he got going and he was healthy. I mean, there was no doubt about it. They could have scored 50 if they wanted to. But we didn't see that enough, and that's why you know you end up losing five football games when you probably shouldn't have, right? So with Tommy, you know, there's not a lot of sample size to go off of last year. You know, being the third string and the whole thing that happened with Mikey Keene at the end, we got to see him in a pretty tough spot uh, in that conference title game against Tulane. And I don't think anybody's going to walk away from that and tell you they learned much about Thomas Castellanos in that game. Yeah. But with that being said, now that we're in spring ball and we get to the spring game, I mean, we're about four or five months away from that. You'd like to think that there's been some improvement. 
the one thing I will say, if it is Darren Henshaw's offense uh, and that, and they're going to stick to that, it puts everybody on an even playing field, really. So how much of an advantage does JRP really have going into this is the question. Because right now, everybody's on an even playing field. And where does Timmy McLean factor into this? Uh, he's had a lot of time to kind of work. And now he's been working in the Gus offense. I want to see, you know, the deep shots and some of those things that you might see in a Darren Henschel offense. I don't know if that suits Timmy's skill sets necessarily. I feel like he's more of a Gus quarterback. Yeah. And you could almost say the same thing about Tommy Castellanos. That's the uncertainty. I don't have a good feel right now for Thomas Castellanos as a true drop back passer. I don't have a feel for that whatsoever because we just haven't seen it. And I thought he was going to be one of those one of those typical Gus quarterbacks that's running all over the place and you know throwing the intermediate passes and the outs and all that kind of stuff. That's why it's so hard to judge this right now. But I will say, JRP, it, generally I thought he threw the deep ball pretty well last year. If there was a part of his throwing game that I thought I was really impressed by, it was throwing deep. So take it all with what you will. But I think that this is probably going to be a competition that goes all the way up until we get, uh, I think, to September. Yeah, and, and that's the thing. I do encourage any UCF fan who hasn't seen Darren Henshaw speak um, to go watch it because unlike Gus, and I love Gus, but Gus doesn't give anything away. He is very even keel. He tells you the same thing every week. He has his his one-liners. It's the same thing. You can't get any read on that. Darren Henshaw tells you with his facial expressions and his words how he actually is feeling. Now, he might not want to know that, let the public know that that's how he's feeling, but just go watch how he talks about the quarterbacks. I agree, Nick. I don't, Timmy McLean, after just hearing Henshaw speak for one presser, I think Timmy McLean has no shot, no shot in hell, just by the way he spoke, because he was asked about all the quarterbacks, and Hinshaw talked on JRP, loved the leadership and all this stuff, but he he raved about Tommy, which again, as a fan, I'm watching and I'm like, I really want to see what they're seeing, and I saw it in glimpses last year, obviously when he got his chances, and again, I you can't look at the championship game with too big of a microscope because you threw a true freshman out there in a championship game with very little game reps. You can't look at it. Clearly there's something there. And we've said he's the next guy. Most likely he's the next guy. So clearly there's something there. And if Hinshaw, you know, if he gets to make that decision, which by all accounts he's going to, I think Tommy has a good chance, a solid chance. It's 50, 50. And you'll see where he's at at the end of the spring. Um, Demarcus Bowman, we're only going to talk about it for two seconds. We've been talking about him for months. We said, listen, he couldn't play last year. He's going to play this year. Running back room is filled up. Obviously, RJ Harvey's your RB1. But Javon Baker came out today and said, he's special. He's going to be a player for us. He's big time. He hits everything right. And listen, number one running back in the class just a couple years ago, it's good to hear that he's had injury problems, just hasn't been fit in the right system, right place. But to hear that, that that is my biggest excitement going into next season is how good can DeMarcus Bowman be? If DeMarcus Bowman is the player that everybody believed he's going to be, I don't think a lot of people can beat UCF. 
And that's just, if we have the passing game we have in the running game we have, Nick, if DeMarcus Bowman is DeMarcus Bowman, the Knights, everybody needs to watch out for the Knights in the Big 12. I mean, there's a reason why DeMarcus Bowman was a five-star recruit and was supposed to be playing big-time football the last two years. There's a reason for that, and I think there's also a reason that UCF didn't recruit a single running back in this last recruiting cycle, uh, didn't bring anybody in in the portal as well. I think that you look at the R.J. Harvey, DeMarcus Bowman, the potential of that tandem, that is going to be the strength of this entire team, I think. And I agree with you 100%. If you can get a tandem going, I could see those guys, maybe this is a bold take, I could see those guys each going for 1,000 together. If DeMarcus Bowman, if the talent that he showed when he was in high school and that made him a prized prospect, if that can translate over and he could form a nice little combo there with R.J. Harvey, I think both guys could have a 1,000 yards. I think they really could. Uh, and for DeMarcus Bowman, I mean, he, I, he needs to, you know, he needs to play. He needs to, you know, maybe love football again. I don't know. I mean, it's been so long since he's played. I'm sure he's itching to get out there, itching to love it as much as he did when he was in high school and he was getting a chance to play. I think all those things matter. So I agree with everything you said. DeMarcus Bowman, to me, is almost like that big X factor because he's such an unknown. Yeah, no, I'm, I'm really excited for him. Uh, I can't wait. And by all accounts, everything coming out of early uh, spring practice is that he's a dude. And he's going to be a dude. And even we have Johnny Richardson, too. Like, you have a three-headed running back. I, I, there you go. You forget about Johnny. No, you, you do. You forget about Johnny. You, yeah, I mean, so, again, that, that's exciting. And then you have all the receivers. Like, the offense is fine. The, if you just get good quarterback play, I mean, again, you could start looking at eight and four as a strong possibility because I don't care. Yeah, I, I think, yeah, the Bowman, to me, it's like if you're just looking at it like a one-for-one one and taking – you know, Isaiah Bowser's role in this offense. I mean, are we going to sit here? I mean, Isaiah Bowser, I, I didn't think he was nearly as effective this past year as he was in 2021. No. And I think Demarcus Bowman is a far more talented running back. So I think, I think you've upgraded. I think you've upgraded. Potentially, potentially really quick on the defense. Addison Williams, new DC. I'm liking what I'm hearing, Nick. I mean, Ricky Barber came out every defensive player that has come out and talked about this new defense has said he tells you how it is. He tells you it's straight and he is giving the defensive players more leeway as to, you know, making plays, right? I like that. And I think the way that they're talking, it's almost like they appreciate it a little more, not saying they don't like T will, but they said, listen, coach Williams comes up, says what he needs from us, says exactly what we need to do. No BS. And he gives us options as to where we need to be. What can we do to make this play better? Which I, I honestly like. I think the defense is significantly underrated going into next year. Obviously lost a couple big pieces, especially starters. But again, I think defense has so much depth and freshmen that can make huge impact. Ricky Barber came out today and said John Walker can play from day one, which I think we all kind of assumed already. Just he's got the body for it. I think he's got the skill. And defensive players are saying, yep, he's a dude. And Caven Call, I mean, I, I really liked Caven. I think Caven could make an impact early. But to hear a guy like Ricky Barber, who's a, a defensive leader, 
come out and say his name and say, uh, yeah, I think as a freshman, he's got a chance. To hear that makes me feel really good. And I think you you like to hear it when every single year now, this is two straight years, especially with Gus guys, that the freshman ca- class is coming in and you have veteran defensive players saying, oh, these freshmen are going to be players. They're going to be they're going to be dogs here in a couple years or even this year. And Nakai Martinez, I saw a couple clips. Nakai's taking a jump. He made some plays on Xavier Townsend that I saw clips of where I'm like, okay, Nakai's taking that leap, which we needed. So it, again, it's building it the right way, Nick, but kind of you hear a couple thoughts about Addison Williams. Kind of, are you liking what you're hearing? Just again, very early on in spring, but clearly these defensive players are liking it and young guys are making plays, which is what we like to hear. Yeah, I think everything so far has been has been very positive with Addison Williams. I mean, there's a reason why they they kept it in house. I think the players definitely had their had their voice heard on this kind of thing. And I mean, I was listening to Selasar who was asked about it, and I think he described them the words were straight shooter and succinct communicator. Uh, and that's and that was asked that was after he got a follow up to clarify that yeah. what was different between Addison Williams and Travis Williams. So I thought that was a pretty interesting reply. With the straight shooter stuff, um, obviously, who knows? Who knows, right? Uh, what happened with the whole Travis Williams thing? We don't know. I just will say, bottom line, if UCF wants to do anything in this conference going forward, you can't have defenses that are ranked in the bottom half like they have been for a long time. I think everybody would agree with that. You just put way too much pressure on this offense. And I think this defense has players. I don't think it's a lack of talent that they have on the defensive side, just for whatever reason, mental lapses, breakdowns in coverage, not being able to get off third down. This has been a, a consistent problem. I think they're begging to have one of these young guys really, you know, really stand out. And I think John Walker, I'd be surprised if John Walker is not on the field on the first play of of, of the first game of the season. Truthfully. I, I think he's probably going to overwhelm everybody with his talent. And and like everybody else has been saying, how Ricky Barber said, I think he'll be a day one starter. So it's all positive so far, I think. No, I agree with you. I mean, I think everybody's excited about John Walker. And I mean, how can you not be? It's the number one raid recruit in UCF history. Uh, but I will say this, and tell me if I'm wrong, Nick, because we got to move on to the next topic. But you said it. Like, clearly, all these defensive players for UCF has said kind of the same thing about Addison Williams is straight shooter tells it to you like it is tells you what he wants. I might be completely wrong, but I think one of the great things about Travis Williams coach T will was he's a player's coach. He is friends with all the guys. He expects the best out of them, but the vibe that I'm getting is maybe it was he he was trying to be friends with all of the players and maybe didn't tell it to him straight every every time. It is maybe like I love what you're doing, keep doing that, like whatever. But then in the game, made a mistake, a mistake. It's like why are you doing that? It's like well, why didn't you tell me this when we were practicing it? Whereas it seems like Coach Williams now is just like this is what I want from you. He's still a players' coach. The players love him, but he's he he's a coach. He's saying, listen, this is what I want from you. This is what you're doing wrong. And I think that's going to really yeah. benefit. Yeah, and I, I love when like new coaches come in and I want them to be straight shooters. I actually was talking about this um, 
this same topic because I've been following a lot of what's going on with USF. And if I'm allowed to bring this up on this show, please let me know. But, you know, Alex Golish is not, he's not really mincing words of how the situation is over there at USF. And I think a lot of coaches come in and they try to sell you on, you know, we have such a great thing right here and we're building and we're going to have the best this and the best. And it's all fool's gold, right? It's just stuff to make the fan base happy, get them excited. And I was listening to Golish talk the other day. And, you know, he talked about having leadership in the room and he was honest and he said, you know, we have to have player driven leadership if we want to get to where we want to be. And right now we're nowhere near that. Like, I mean, that's a pretty blunt thing to say. So I translate that to Addison Williams coming in here. And from all accounts you hear from the players right now, it seems like he's taken on that straight shooter mentality, like Josh Shalazar said, and I truly think that these guys want to be coached hard. I think really players who want to be great want to be coached hard. I don't think they necessarily need you to be their friend. Yeah. Uh, that's just that's just my way of thinking on that. I know there's different ways of coaching, but just trying to like pick the vibe out right now of what it was like with Travis Williams and like it's now with Addison Williams. I think you hit it right there with the friendliness more as the coach. And again, I think you could be friends with your players. I think you can coach. Yeah, absolutely. There's there's multiple ways to do that. Yeah, and I think again, T. Will. I'm I'm not discrediting him. I think at times the defense played really well last year, and I think he put him in the right position. But I think the knock sometimes is that nothing would get changed. It, you would do the same thing for the entire game, uh, and you saw that in like the Louisville game, right, with Malik Cunningham. Nothing was changed. It was just keep doing what you're doing. You're doing great. And I think that can hurt a defense, whereas uh, we'll see what happens, right? Again, we emphasize it's only a couple practices in, but I think clearly the players are really liking, tell it to them straight, what do I need to do? Because a lot of these players are trying to go to the league. Josh Salascar is most likely going to get drafted, or he wants to get drafted pretty hot, right? Ricky Barber, probably going to get drafted. These guys are trying to help their draft stock. So when a coach comes to them and says, you need to do this, 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 these guys are probably like, please tell me what I need to do because I don't want to go into next season and not put stuff good on tape. Like, and that's just straight up. So I don't know. We'll see. Again, the spring game is fast approaching. We've got a, a lot of great content coming beforehand. Um, but we'll see as the practices keep ramping up and media gets more availability. We'll see kind of the differences and what kind of transpires. I'm in this early, early uh, period of spring ball. All right, well, a couple days ago, Nick, uh, UCF got their quarterback for 2024 uh, very early. Uh, I mean, I guess now that you're in Power 5, it needs to be more, you know, uh, more normalized because I don't remember when, like, quarterbacks, I guess, normally are committing this early, but it was kind of just shocked to me. Uh, Riley Trujillo, uh, Barton Trail quarterback, Jacksonville, uh, number 40 quarterback in the class of 2024, uh, 6'3" nice size for a quarterback and watching the tape on him. Obviously it's really hard not to like a guy that can run and pass. Uh, now what I will say is after watching some of the tape, I think what I've heard and what I've seen is he can be very accurate with the football and he can, and he could do both. I'm not loving the mechanics. Now this is just me personally. I, I think he's going to be really good. It's a high school quarterback. It's all he's, clearly he's pretty good if he's the number 40 quarterback in the class. 
I think some of his mechanics can be improved on, which I think, listen, Darren Henshaw wanted him. I think that's one of the main reasons Riley chose UCF is with Henshaw here and to help him work on some of those things that he needs help on. He even said that. He said Henshaw has really told him a couple things he needs to work on, this, 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 with any high school quarterback. But I will say this. Prototypical Gus, I guess now Darren Henshaw guy, and love the fact that he's tall, that he can really move, uh, and I'm excited to see what he can do his senior year because I think he could be a guy for us. And that's kind of, remember I said, like, we have Dylan Risk. We said, whoever the next guy is, he might be the next, that that guy. Because you have Thomas, right? I don't know what's going to happen with Dylan, right? It, it, who All we know, Dylan could transfer out or, or he could play. Who knows? But this seems like the guy that could potentially be a guy down the line. But Nick, kind of give your quick thoughts on a new quarterback for UCF if he actually signs at the end of the year, Riley Chihilo. Trujillo. Yeah, you got to get you got to get at least one. I think in every cycle, uh, you could ever have too many in that room. I don't think uh, he does come with a different bit of a profile with the six four because you know that that's something that UCF doesn't have right now in that room is a, is a quarterback of that stature. Yeah. So, uh, and you know, just look at some of the offers that he had. I mean, there were some big ones in there. Uh, notably Virginia Tech and Arkansas. So uh, it's good to it's always good to get someone like that top 40 quarterback in the country. Um, so we'll see what happens. I mean, I think I think eventually that one of these guys is going to transfer out of here. Yeah. Eventually, because right now you're looking at a future next year with Tommy, uh, Timmy, Dylan, uh, now Riley. So you got four guys there. I think eventually one of these guys is going to transfer out. And it wouldn't surprise me if Riley sticks here um uh, and he commits completely when we get to the end of this recruiting cycle, it wouldn't surprise me if Dylan Riss was the odd man out there. Or Timmy. I mean, Timmy could transfer out next year if, if he doesn't win the job, which, you know, who knows. Uh, but that's the thing with these quarterbacks. It's good to get one every year, but you're bound to lose one or two or three, uh, depending on how good your quarterback play is. But yeah, we'll see what happens with him. Excited that we got the quarterback, and now we'll see what can happen with the rest of the recruiting class moving forward. All right, Nick, Taylor Hendricks, uh, he's going to the NBA. Uh, it's not breaking news. We, I think we all knew that prior to the season. Uh, we sure as hell knew it during the season with how the season was going. Um, went to the NIT, won a game in the NIT against Florida, but he announced he's going to the NBA draft. Averaged 15.1 points per game, seven rebounds, and 1.7 blocks per game. It's, he is a very interesting prospect. Uh, he does remind me a lot of Jonathan Isaac in college. Uh, he reminds me a lot of Jeremy Grant right now in the NBA with how he plays. And he is the, I don't think NBA analysts or mock draft people, or I don't think they under, know where he's going to go. I it, it ranges. I looked just before this pod of his projection because a lot of people say prob, probable lottery pick. But I looked at four different draft sites. NBC Sports has him going 18th to Brooklyn. Fansided has him going 15th to Atlanta. Bleacher Report has him going 10th to Toronto. And NBA Draft Room has him going 7th to Washington. If that doesn't tell you that they have no earthly idea where he's going to go, like in, in that spectrum, I mean, that's it right there. I think he is the most one of the most intriguing prospects in this draft with, he's got, 
an entire game. He's got offense. He's got defense. He can do it all. He can shoot. He can play defense in the post. He can block. He can rebound. He can do it all. Now, he's a raw prospect. He He's raw. Like, there's no question about it, which I think is intriguing to a lot of teams. A, a lot of teams would be like, I want to mold that prospect. That's what made Jonathan Isaac so intriguing was he was raw. And I'm not, obviously, Jonathan Isaac has had a lot of injury problems. But he reminds me of that type of player. I think there's no question the Magic could probably use him with the question of, if, is Jonathan Isaac going to be healthy or, or do you want to move on from J.I.? The Magic have probably two top 10 lottery picks. I think that's a good spot for him. That'd be great. But I think, Nick, and tell me if you disagree, I think he goes down as probably the best player in UCF history. I know it. it's hard to look at that way because the season kind of just felt like a downer with the injuries and the expectations and reality. But the fact of the matter is UCF might have its first lottery pick in its history. And again, going to the Big 12, that is huge, not just for Taylor um, and his family, but for the program in general. Yeah, I don't think it's really close. I think he's definitely the most talented player that's ever come through UCF. It's a shame when they come through and it's only for a year and it's on a team that... I don't know how to how would you I don't know how to sum up this season. I mean, you get a win in the NIT, you beat Florida, you kind of get you just completely off your game against Oregon in the second round. But I thought people may have thought this team had an outside shot of making the the, the NCAA tournament. And it seemed like they kind of they lost a lot of close games. So I don't know. I hate that it happens at a on a, a season where he's not be able to put that on the full display for the whole country because I feel like he's a really unknown. I don't think a lot of people really know who he is. Uh, yeah. He wasn't like a top top prospect. I think he was outside the top fifty. Yeah, he was outside. And the then, top by the way, that's very hard. To, that's very hard to do. By the uh, way, yeah, in one season at a at a non basketball power to play so well, show so much. I mean, thirty nine percent from three. The defensive versatility. I mean that. I mean a three and D guy like that. I think is you. You can never have enough of those in the NBA. And I think that's what makes him a probably. I think he's going to be a top fifteen selection. Yeah. Uh, I mean, hell, who knows? I mean, Orlando could get. I mean, Orlando. I mean, I forgot Orlando's got two, got two uh, first round picks this year, and both are in the lottery. Yeah. Because uh, even though for all the strides the Magic have made this season, there's a lot of like mid right now, like when it comes to record. So the Magic actually have the fifth overall pick in the draft right now. They feel insane. a lot better than that. Oh, dude, it's so weird. They feel a lot better they than do. that. But they're they had the. But they have the fifth overall pick right now. Yeah. And then Chicago right now, I mean, is just a few games ahead of Orlando. And so that pick right now is number nine. Yeah. So I wouldn't take him with five, but at nine? Oh, yeah, taking out nine, easy. Easy. I mean, it makes a lot of sense. You need a three and D off the bench right now. Like, because, yeah, J.I. being hurt, and I think the Magic probably... I ain't counting on J.I. anymore. No, that's the thing. <laughs> I think the Magic move on. Like, you, I think you have to move on from J.I. And I think you need to replace yeah. that player with... Somebody like him. Now, then the, we get into a whole other topic of do the Magic trade one of those picks? Like, because you yeah. want two young lottery picks in the same draft. I think that's a whole other conversation. But if the Magic do keep those picks, I think taking Taylor, if you get the ninth pick or 10th pick, I think that'd be a great pick. Raw prospect, come in day one and backs up Paulo Bancaro. I mean, and Franz Wagner. I mean, that's... And he's young too. Wouldn't hurt. No, but no, you, hurt. you said it. I mean, 
outside of the top 50, highest rated UCF prospect for basketball, obviously, but still coming out of the top 50. And if he gets drafted in the top 15, what a jump. Like, and you said it, like, yeah, I think more people know him now. Like, he broke the record for Freshman of the Week awards in the American with nine. It, but why was he not the Freshman of the Year? Be, no, by well, the way, oh, if you watched Charge on a couple weeks ago, you know, oh, I know, we we discussed. But listen, winning winning matters clearly to the American, and they gave it to Jarris Walker from Houston, and he's projected to go higher than Taylor. Which again, you watch the two play against each other. Taylor's the better player by long shot, like by a long shot. But again, I, being young and being on a winning team makes you more money. But again, if he goes ten, if he goes top fifteen, that's a win for UCF and definitely a win for Taylor. I mean, Taylor, yeah. So, so happy that he was a UCF Knight. Um, his brother's still on the team. I'm sure he'll make an impact next year in some form or fashion, three-point shooter. But um, we'll see. Maybe the Magic, uh, maybe the Magic get him. And hey, maybe we'll talk more Magic basketball here uh, very soon. So stay tuned for that um, news coming that on that soon. Um, all right, Nick. Last thing before we go, athletics update. There was a lot dropped yesterday in that 10-minute video from Terry Mahajer. A lot of mic drops, I will say, in the sense of Terry Mahajer said, listen, for all you that want all this stuff done, I'm going to just tell you and show you all the numbers and why some of these people that think, you know, nothing's getting done, we're wasting our money, we're not using the money, where the money's going, and why everything's taking so long. So I encourage everybody listening to this podcast to go to mission12.com. Because that has literally everything. I don't understand some of it. Some of it is very confusing. But it gives you a good grasp of where UCF is compared to other Big 12 schools in revenue and plans for the future. UCF is basically on the bottom tier of every single statistical category when it comes to revenue earned from donations, etc. If you want all this stuff done that we're about to go through, then donations and hopefully donors and alumni can start feeding into the program. Unfortunately, the problem is we're so young that, again, a lot of the alumni don't have big bucks to throw out. But if you go look at mission, mission12.com, again, I encourage to, you'll see a lot of the stuff they've done. Nick, I showed, like you saw some of those pictures with the updated locker rooms, the lounges and stuff like that. Night and day, like no offense to Danny White because Danny White did a lot for us. Clearly, I know he know like a lot has changed over the last however many years since Terry Mahajer took over. So it's no offense to Danny White, but some of those locker rooms are pitiful. I mean, absolutely disgusting if we're being honest. Um, so they've really upgraded the facilities, but now they have the football campus update which I'm going to go through it really quick in phase one and we'll talk about phase two and why probably some of this will never see the light of day, but we can all dream. So you have the Sharon and Mark Hagel gateway. 
So it's not only going to change the way that they recruit and operate, but it will create a brand new activation area on game day and an additional grand entry into FBC Mortgage Stadium. I'll put some of these pictures up on the screen so you can kind of see. But again, I encourage you guys to go to the site that I've said previously. They have some great concept renderings. A lot of you have been clamoring for McNamara Cove. It's on the plan still. They've changed a little bit of the plans to make it more catered to football game days, recruiting and alumni events. So a lot of people were saying, oh, it's going to cost X amount of dollars. It's going to be very expensive. I think that's still going to be the case, but it's made for the UCF student athletes. And then on football game days, a great place to, you know, tailgate. And it looks great in the renderings. On Nicholson Plaza, they have a new tropical entrance and tailgate zone at FBC Mortgage Stadium. I love a new entrance. I don't love the entrance uh, now and the way that that's all you know, you know, it's kind of, it gets cluttered sometimes. It moves pretty quick, but that'd be great. New football ops building. So coach's office, meeting rooms, that building looks fire. That's probably my favorite thing on the entire thing is the football ops building looks really cool. Um, Renovations to the Wayne Dent Sports Center. So new football locker room, weight room, training room, and other facilities. That's probably the most important thing. If we're going to be honest, seeing some of the power five, specifically SEC, Big 10 locker rooms, you really need to up it a little bit. Um, They've done great work right now, but I, you definitely need to make some renovations. So that's phase one. Phase two cannot be started until all of phase one is done. Make that very clear. The only thing in phase two right now is the new West Side Tower. So that's going to be the home to the launch club, suites, and countless new unique premium seating opportunities. The size and structure of the tower will also help create much-needed shade for significant parts of FBC Mortgage Stadium, which I know fans have been clamoring for for years. Shade. And Terry Mahajra said, we need to find a space for premium seating because we're not going to make revenue. We need to find places for new seating. They were originally going to use the student section. They are going to do a whole new thing with premium seating. He realized that can't happen. So this is the result that can't happen until all of phase one now again if you look at the revenue i don't know if a lot of this can get done it, it really depends on how much revenue is coming in we're not getting a full revenue split of the big 12 until 2026 and even then it won't be able to afford it you need to get a lot of different things merchandise season ticket revenue gifts uh doing the uh charge on fund it's a lot of different stuff but if they can get some of this stuff done and i think the main i get you can't do the west side tower until you get all of phase one if they can start and get the the gateway done in mcnamara kovnik with the football ops building i think that's an instant instant win for the program and how it looks because the, this concept art, like I get, we looked at the concept art from a couple years ago, and we love that. I think this is a big step up, and I think, again, when you're looking and going to a new conference, having a vision of what your program will be in 10 years is very important. Now, I'm not saying this will take 10 years to build. Who knows? But it's going to take people to really fork up some dollars and say, go build this, because none of this is cheap. This is all premier program level stuff. And when you're at the bottom of the Big 12 in revenue, I mean, it, it, you're, you're fighting an uphill battle.
Yeah. And I think Terry Mahajer, to the first part that you said there with what he's done so far, because a lot of people are pretty impatient and don't see the real change. I think Terry Mahajer, since he's been here, has been an A-plus athletic director. Mm -hmm. I truly believe that. A-plus. Everything that he said that he was going to do, he has either done or he has laid out a plan to do it. He doesn't keep the fan base, the alumni, in the dark about it. I mean, he comes out today with a 10-minute video. Did he have to do a 10-minute video to update everyone and to lay out specifically? He didn't have to do 10 minutes. No. Could have put in a, in, a pre, in like a little press release, some photos, which he did as well. But he took they took the time to have him speak it, to talk it out. 10 minutes, put it out on social media, get everybody excited. I have no idea how much of this is going to get done like you, but you got to have a plan for these things. I think if they get the McNamara Center done, uh, the walkway and then the upgrades to the Dench Center and the football facility, if they can get that far, like to me, everything else when the phase two, which I know they said they have to get phase one done before they get to phase two. If you can just get phase one done, I think that changes so much. Honestly, yeah. Uh, first, I mean, are we going to get this lazy river ever? Like, I mean, we've been Here's we've been promised this lazy river for years. I know. I don't know. I don't know. It just looks. It just visually, it looks great. It adds some credibility and some legitimacy and uh, the aesthetic, the aesthetically pleasing uh, nature of it. All those things are great. So I'm all for. It. I mean, UCF has one of the largest alumni bases in the country. Yep. Uh, and that's what it's going to require is a lot of people who have money to really chip in here. How much do you love the program? How much do you love the school? Uh, this is it's time for you to put up a little bit now. So if you look and again, I, I'll say it for the 50th time, I want you to go to this site because it really I, I give UCF a lot of credit. They give you a lot of information on where we're at. And, and it is really, really interesting to see. Um, so I'll just look at the big 12 fundraising comparisons in fiscal year 19, right? So this is or UCF alumni number as February, 2022. Uh, I think it's fiscal year 2019, but I, I might be wrong on this. So again, please go look in the new big 12. UCF is 11th. Um, when it comes to dollars raised, they raised $13 million um, in whatever year this is again, I, I think it's fiscal year 19, but I might be wrong. They raised $13 million. They have 7,496 donors, um, athletic donors. Now, the largest alumni base in the Big 12 is Texas. They have 530,000 alumni. UCF is second in the Big 12 with 339,000, and Cincinnati comes in at third with 319,000. Cincinnati has raised maybe 700,000 more dollars than us, with less donors. They only have 5650 donors. We have 7496. And our average gift size is $1800 where Cincinnati's 2500. Number of donors is important. But I think what we can all be excited about, Nick, and what makes listen, they're not up there right now. But Texas has 530,000 alumni. We're two-thirds the way there. Right? We're getting there. Right. So it might not happen now. And that's why I think UCF fans need to really this stuff might will get some of it will get done. And who knows? It might get all done. It might take however many years. But with the alumni base UCF has, and as that alumni base gets older and starts making some more uh, some more dough, more will get brought back into the program. 
and you're already seeing the strides being made, it's going to help with recruiting, and then recruiting will win championships. But again, Terry Mahajer said it, and he made it very clear. Like that's I agree with you, Nick. What like he's been an outstanding athletic director because he tells you what it is, he gives you the updates. We didn't need an update, but he tells you, listen, this is where we need to be. We need to raise X amount of dollars. Everything helps because we want to do this type of stuff, and we can't do this type of stuff just because we're getting the new money from the Big Twelve. Basically, it shows you in that breakdown that all the money that the Big 12 is going to be paying us in that revenue split is basically going to just operating costs. It's not going to be going to building a new McNamara Cove. It's going to just operating your athletics departments. So every single extra dollar that you're getting besides that will get you what you want in the long term. If you want the new extra West Side Tower... Well, then everybody needs to chip in. Now, obviously, if you can't, you can. But for those fans that are clamoring, where's the lazy river? Where's this? It's, yeah, it's been in the plans. But when, because I know Mac, whoever donated for the lazy river, unfortunately, that money had to go to operating or something else. They couldn't just let X amount of dollars sit in a bank and say, oh, we're going to build a lazy river. Well, guess what? You have to, update xyz like the locker room that looked like trash so it's all going to come together if anything it should be very exciting for ucf fans to see these and see how cool they look just like a couple years ago and hope and pray that at some point some ground will get broken on this because i don't think it'll happen anytime soon if anything it'll happen after next football season give it a year you might see something get broken ground on Probably again the the gateway. I am I'm assuming the gateway will, will be the very first thing that you see out of all of this because it's that one. You know, I think that don't know how much that is, but I'm sure it's it's doable. But wait a year, you'll see some things happening. And I again, I think the first thing you'll see is the gateway and the lazy river, and then maybe the the new football ops building or whatever is in front of McNamara Cove. Those are going to be the first things built out of all this. Yeah, and, and to me, that's when you find out, depending on how much gets done here and what doesn't get done, that to me is going to tell you how legit the fan base, the alumni want this program to be because this is the standard now. When you go to the Power Five, when you get up to this part and you want to continue to grow, when somebody wants something done, the alumni, the donors, the the booster, they get it done, signed. When it happens to neither the the, the big schools, and it's the same thing. Like if something at Florida wants to get done, it gets done. Yep, just like that, right? There's not a waiting game for the most part. So uh, if that's what I'm saying, if UCF really wants to take those next steps, be viewed as a national power at some point in the future, those are the necessary things. And I got to tell you what, I mean, there's such a passionate fan base here that really cares. Uh, I'm sure that there are people lining up to donate. Yeah, I'm sure there are after today. I'd love to see what the number is today of how many people donated right away. It'll be interesting. I mean, I'm just glad, and I hope that he offers more updates in the coming months and you know during will. the year. Will. I think that's great to to see it because I think to again, we don't get any information. We just talk about what we think. We've been talking about the lazy river for years. To have him say, and I, I agree, and, he, and yeah, he said, we're not going to risk our our financial future 
to do things that don't make sense with our our interests and our revenue coming in. Like we're not going to go build this and risk our financial stability because he said like, I guess there was a, a an article that came out that said UCF made all this money and blah, blah. And he goes, yeah, you didn't account for COVID debt that we were still paying off. Like we're still paying off X amount of dollars in debt. You don't account for that. Like, yeah, we're getting all this money, but we need to be financially stable for our future before we even think about building all these cool new facilities to increase our brand and all this stuff. Um, with that also being said, please also, if you can, go to the Kingdom NIL. Free sponsorship because that's your NIL collective and that's going to get you the players that can come here and win you championships for the entire UCF program, not just football, all of them. So if you're, you know, if you're a little bit cheaper and you're like, I want to give money that's going to go to the players and that'll help recruiting the kingdom NIL. They've got great stuff. They just got with mission control. It's one thing now. So the kingdom NIL is your place. And then if you can also go and, and donate, buy season tickets, buy some merch, do what you want to do. All the money's going back into the athletics program and you might get some of these cool things. I want to go in the lazy river. Donate so like we can all go in the lazy river for $1,000 a season and and have a good time. That's all I'm saying. That was a lot, Nick. A lot this episode. <laughs> like this is like a, a, a wow. I feel like I just like recap like a summer or something. Like in one pod. Oh, it was a fifty like a like, fifty minute show, and yeah, it, it literally felt like five hours. It felt like they just hit us with a bunch of updates, like in a span of like a week, just like out of nowhere. Because, like you said last week, there was nothing going on. Nothing. Nothing. Absolutely nothing. I don't even know what I was going to talk about. Look, I, I <laughs> we had the NCAA tournament. I mean, we had NIT, but you know, I'm not, I didn't want to talk about that too much. But it's only going to get more. You got Springbok here. We're, we're, we're treading through that. Recruiting is going to pick up here in, you know, about a cup a month. It's already, you have players coming to practice. So that's going to start picking up. And then before you know it, the season will be here. Uh, so we'll see. Very exciting time. Very exciting things coming up. Um, and hey, we still don't even know what's happening with the Pac-12 and Big 12. We still have that. Uh, and we should be finding that soon too. So exciting time for UCF guys. And as always, we appreciate your support. We will be back next week. I promise. We're not taking another week off probably for a while. So please like, subscribe, share, do all that you do. Um, this has been Charge On presented by Bet Online. We will see you guys next week. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.